You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Hey, we better pray. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love to worship you. We love to see you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to open our eyes, really wide open the eyes of our hearts today to see the Father. Would you reveal new things to us about the goodness of our Father in heaven? Would you deliver us from every false God concept that we've been walking around with so that we would love you more? Thank you that you loved us first, that you showed us that this is love, that while we were still sinners, you gave your life for us. Father, we welcome the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in this room. We know that you're still healing, you're still delivering, you're still making wrong things right, you're still reconciling marriages and healing friendships. Yeah, let's just wait on him for just a moment longer. We love you. If you just want to whisper your affections to him, you can. We just love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We're here for you. We're here for you. Not for fine-sounding arguments, but for demonstrations of the Spirit's power. Jesus. Hey, we love you. I love meditating on the good news of the gospel. It's like, for me, it's impossible to spend uh, any amount of time thinking about what Jesus has done and not get really happy and not feel that thing where uh, anxieties are dismantled and and the things that I, I feared become laughing matters, the things that I was so worried about, I'm able to now chuckle about. You guys know what I'm talking about? That recalibrating love of God. Oh, sign me up for that. Like, let's, let's just, let's invite the Lord to do more of that in all of our hearts today as we gather. Um, we've had about a month of pretty memorable I would even say demonstrative manifestations of the Spirit's power from um, nearly the whole church breaking out and weeping and travail and, and another week where it was dancing, another week where people were experiencing um, deliverance, uh, it ranging anywhere from like getting really happy in God to actually being delivered of oppressive spirits People, seeing people get filled, like fillings of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's exciting. It's, I mean, that's, that's our inheritance. Like, it's, it's the reward of Jesus' suffering <laughs> that we get to experience the good things of heaven, that heaven would come to earth like that. Um, and today, I, I just want to continue to make room for the Holy Spirit to do that. I do feel like he's given me a message, um, but in the midst of this message, I'm hoping that he just 
interrupts or jumps on our hearts or, you know, weeping or joy, or you can shout hallelujahs. You can stand up and say, say it again, preacher. Like, <laughs> in fact, I like the encouragement like that. I'm just saying that, like, we're, we're open. Like, the Holy Spirit is center stage, and what he wants to do is what we want to do. We want to be about the things that he is about. Uh, last week, Ashley talked about going through the valleys of life well. It was an amazing message. Um, and something that she mentioned last week sparked in me a desire to elaborate on it. And um, she said that, she mentioned that it's possible to get frustrated with God or even develop an accusation toward him in the place of pain in the place of delay, in the place of hope deferred, in those valleys. And for all of us, whether it's a, a conscious plight that we've developed or if it's, or it's something deep beneath the surface, you know, many of us have these grievances against dad, against our good father in heaven. And these grievances, I would say that they're able to exist because of lies that we believe about him. Any parent in here, or maybe every parent in here, has had the opportunity, if your child is old enough, to discipline that child and them not understand it and, or, or, or uh, react poorly or you know, withhold their heart from you. And you think to yourself, if only they knew my motivation in doing this. And, and helping them to lead like an amazing, full life and helping the, to keep them away from some of the pitfalls that I experienced. If they only knew my motivations behind this discipline, then they would love and obey me. If they knew my motivations. Well, guys, the motivations of Father showed up in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the mind of God. He is the logos or logos, which means that he is the logic. He is the motivations of the Father. He came to show us the Father. And I believe that we've been in a, in a period of American church history where we found it easy to be crazy about Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but not so sure about the Father. Almost like you're a kid who has this very strong feeling that one of your parents loves you more than the other one. <laughs> that one of them is safe and the other one, I don't know. It, it, and it's like this, we have this idea that there's like a good cop, bad cop situation going on in heaven. <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing to be as crazy about the Father as we are about Jesus. And wouldn't it be amazing for the Father to have his children no longer distrust him? I mean, think about dad's heart. Wouldn't it be amazing for dad, our dad in heaven, to have children that no longer mistrust him or no longer fear him in unrighteous ways? 
You know, I'm singing to the choir right now because for many years, I had an easier time trusting Jesus than my Abba, Father. And I, I might refer to him as dad today or Abba or father. If it makes you uncomfortable, come on, get delivered with me. Um, like <laughs> He's the one that wraps his arms around me. He's my dad. He's the one that provides and helps me and picks me up and puts Band-Aids on my scraped knees. He's my dad. Um, but for a lot of years, I, I had a hard time trusting my father in heaven because I thought that um, Jesus convinced the father to love me. I thought that Jesus convinced dad to accept me. I thought the only reason he didn't destroy me was because I was under Jesus's blood, which reminded the father he had already taken out his vengeance. And so I was covered by the blood and Jesus snuck me into heaven past the judging eyes of dad. I thought that the blood changed the father's ability to see me, but the blood changed my ability to see the father. I thought the blood delivered the father of his anger towards me, but it delivered me of my anger towards the father. I thought that the blood was so that the father could be appeased, but the blood healed me of my sin disease. It rhymed. Trademark it, write a song. I thought the blood was so the father could be appeased, but the blood healed me of my sin disease. (laughs) It changed me. God doesn't change. You can't change God. He never changes. There's no shifting of shadows. His love for us has never changed. So the blood, the cross didn't change the father. It changed us. It changed me so that not only could I dwell in his presence, but his presence could dwell in me. It didn't just make me clean enough to like sneak in the holy holies every once in a while. It made me so clean that he turned me into the holy of holies and lives in me forever. (sighs) Guys, and here's the thing. We never got to see sinners in the hands of an angry God, but we did get to see God in the hands of angry sinners. And at some point, we will all see this most freeing truth that the tree Jesus died on has more power than the tree Adam ate from. Someone better call 911 and report the truth bomb I just planted in this building. It's not cool when you laugh at your own jokes, Jeremy. Just move on. Pretend like it wasn't amazing. (laughs) This will be the greatest deliverance the church has experienced in 500 years. Our distrust, our fear, our accusation toward God is able to exist because of these lies that we believe about him. 
And these lies create dysfunction in our life. They create fear, shame, and control. So this dysfunction, these dysfunctions that we have rob us of joy and peace in our life. This, and the dysfunction is symptomatic or indicative of a broken root system or, uh, or wrong foundational beliefs about God that just need to be torn down. It's like um, a fever is not the disease. A fever shows you there is a disease. And if you treat the, just treat the fever, sometimes you're actually lessening your body's ability to defeat the disease. The fever is, point, like, is, is a warning, warning, warning. There's something going on. But if we, if we just, it, it's like if your, your brakes have gone out in your car and you take your car to the mechanic and you, you go and pick up your car from the mechanic and they say, I couldn't fix your brakes, so I made your horn louder. <laughs> Good luck out there. Like, like, no, we, we got we to gotta fix the problem. The horn is only going to save me for so long. <laughs> and right now we have a church with a really loud horn, but completely faulty safety systems. We've gotten really good at shouting a false gospel so loud that no one can understand the real one when they hear it whispered. I firmly believe that all the issues, all these dysfunctions in our life are completely healed and undone when we just look at Jesus. Because when we see Jesus, we see the Father. When we see him, we see our maker, our good, loving, merciful Father. I want to go to um, a scripture that has probably enabled or empowered one of the accusations that humanity, or one of the reasons humanity has these fears of the Father. Would you guys open your Bibles with me to Psalm 22? You guys okay? I kind of came out swinging, so just (laughs) hang with me. We're going to have fun talking about the Father. All right, Psalm 22. If you want to put it up on the screen, that would be helpful too. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is that verse famous? Because Jesus said it from the cross. And it seems like a a really dark and disturbing moment like this God that you thought would never leave you has left you. It says, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Now, for the remainder of this message, I want you guys to think about how this psalm, Psalm 22, is one of the most prophetic psalms uh, showing the crucifixion of Jesus. And right here, it says, you are enthroned on the praises of Israel. This is, 
the triumphal entry, Jesus walking into Jerusalem on that lowly donkey upon which no one else had ridden, and they're throwing down their cloaks, their palm branches, and all of Israel has come out the gates to worship Jesus. He's literally enthroned. He's walking on the cloaks of their praise. Verse 4, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I'm a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me, or they make mouths at me, and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. And this is straight up. You can go to Matthew 27, 39. You don't have to turn there, but this is what it says. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. You've saved others, now save yourself. And these mocking onlookers are saying, yeah, go ahead, put your trust in that God of yours, but he's abandoned you. He's deserted you. So why don't you come on down and try to save yourself? Verse 9, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there's none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths like a ravening and roaring lion. Guys, this is a, the exact picture of what Jesus was facing on that day, the cross. He's just surrounded by these murderous people, by this corrupt religious system, and by this corrupt government system. Verse 14, I'm poured out like water. What came from his side? And all my bones are out of joint. Medically, uh, I've researched and heard this many times, but the, on the cross, um, because of the way it's designed, you know, his, all of his bones have come out of joint. His, his wrists, his elbows, his shoulders hanging there when he can't support himself on the nail going through his, his ankle. He, he's become completely disjointed. And the next one is my heart is like wax. And often what eventually kills someone on the cross is their heart exploding or a heart attack. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue sticks to my jaws. Jesus from the cross says, I thirst. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. You guys know when Psalm 22 is written? About a thousand years before Jesus was born. What inspired the psalmist to write, they pierced my hands and feet? It would be hundreds and hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented, guys. That would happen with the, the Romans consulting with the Phoenicians on creating this most horrible way to die. 
you can only say that under the unction of the Holy Spirit, he's prophesying the death of the Messiah on the cross. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. And again, this is a prophecy fulfilled. None of his bones were broken, and they cast lots for his clothes. Keep reading on with me. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, don't be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You, you rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. See, he's getting glimpses now. He's talking about in the heavens, the great assembly of saints and angels and the four living creatures and the elders. He's saying, I will praise you in the great congregation. Verse 23, and you, uh, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. Verse 24, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried. I have a question. Did God the Father hide his face from Jesus on the cross? Did he turn away from the Son in that moment? You guys know that we have entire sections of the church, like doctrinal beliefs built around this idea that the Father just couldn't even look at the Son in this moment. He had to turn away, deserted him on the cross. I mean, was this the moment that the Trinity like imploded and fell apart? I, I have a hard time believing it because he starts off this psalm singing, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But before he gets to the end of it, he says, you'll never turn your face away from me. And then John 10, 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. This wasn't temporarily suspended on the cross. John 14, 11 says, I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. John 16, 32, he says this to the, the disciples about the crucifixion. He says, you all will leave me, yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. John 8, 28, and if that wasn't enough, here's another one. John 8, 28 through 29. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me, and He has not left me alone. So where did we come up with this idea that in Jesus' darkest valley, in his worst moment, that the Father would turn from him? And you might be thinking, I mean, if you're, if you're a theologian or a, a Bible scholar, you might be thinking, but what about, I mean, doesn't it say in Scripture that God can't look upon evil? I would say it's in Habakkuk, or Habakkuk. 113, it says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate it. Oh, 
man, I was preaching so good and now it's just over. Like that just dismantled like the whole sermon. Dang it. Except that that's only the first half of the verse. It says, your eyes are too pure to look upon evil. You cannot tolerate it. Why then do you? See, this is not Habakkuk giving a doctrinal dissertation. This is Habakkuk crying out in his confusion and frustration. And maybe his darkened understanding of the heart of the Father is coming out in this moment. Or maybe he's tired of seeing this oppression on earth and thinking, God, why are you allowing this? I thought you were too pure. I thought you were too holy to look upon this. Why then do you? If God can't look on sin, why was Satan able to come into his presence in Job 1? If we believe that God can't look on evil, we have a much bigger problem to deal with because then none of us believe that Jesus is God. Did Jesus ever go to a party with a bunch of sinners and before coming through the door say, mm, I can't go in there until you sacrifice a goat, guys? God can't turn his face. God doesn't turn his face away from the wicked any more than the sun can hide from the blind. It's there, but you might not see it. See, we came up with this idea that the father abandoned the son on the cross, and it's just so anti-trinity. It's which means that it's like this breakdown in the unity and fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I've even heard it said that like at that moment when the darkness descended and covered the earth, well, that was the moment when the Father had to like hightail it out of there, turn his back, that was the darkest moment, except it's the exact opposite. <laughs> Psalm 18:9 says, he parted the heavens and came down, dark clouds were under his feet. Psalm 97:2: clouds and thick darkness surround him. Deuteronomy 5.22, these words the Lord spoke to all of your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of fire, the cloud, and thick darkness. Guys, when the earth got the most dark is when dad came closest. I believe that the father even used Jesus' last heartbeat to cause the earthquake, which would open the tombs to allow the dead to walk out. This idea of the Father deserting Jesus on the cross is, it might be more pervasive than you think. It's subtle. It's even in a bunch of our songs, hymns today. There's worship songs today, and I, I don't point fingers at anyone for singing them because there's incredible encounters in even some of these songs with bad lyrics, but think about it like, <laughs> one final breath he gave while heaven looked away. Now listen, I don't mind like that as like a beautiful poetic moment. Maybe like the angels were like, this is too much for me to see. And they're like covering their faces with their wings. Like, oh my God, the son of man is dying. But the father did not turn away from his beloved. 
2 Corinthians 5.19 says it like this, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. Why am I bringing this up today? I'm not trying to poke any like bears. Uh, honestly, I, the, I, there's so much glory and freedom hidden in these truths when they become our reality, when they become the way that we think about God. Psalm 22 isn't over yet. Let's go back to it. Verse 25. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform because those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. So this is turning into praise. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust, and even uh, those who could not keep himself alive. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. So now, like, now it's like generations are going to be praising the Lord. This is like getting even more incredible. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. This is the final phrase of Psalm 22. That he has done it. What was the last words of Jesus on the cross? It is accomplished. It's good news because it already happened. Hey guys, finish this, this phrase for me. It may look like I'm surrounded. It's a popular worship song, isn't it? Thank you, Alyssa Smith, under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, these popular songs get stuck in our heads. And so if I were to sing the first line of just about any, like, top 40, you'd probably have a, be able to continue singing it or understand the, the context of the song. Well, what were the most popular songs in Jesus' time? The Psalms. Particularly these uber-famous ones like 22. So when Jesus on the cross began to shout out, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? He is telegraphing to everyone with an earshot that he's not abandoned, that the father would never turn his face on him. He's telegraphing the end of the song from the beginning. It was like him in that moment singing, it may look like I'm abandoned, but it couldn't be further from the truth. It may look like I'm surrounded by those strong bulls of Bashan, those lions and dogs that encircle and encompass me. It may look like I'm surrounded. 
I'm encapsulated in the loving arms of the Father. Jesus was never forsaken, but he did shout that question. He shouted my question at God. He shouted our accusation at the Father. He stepped into the depths of my darkness, my confusion. And so embodied, so identified with my fallen moment, my fallen nature, the futility of my thinking, the darkened thinking of my mind. And he shouts my accusation at the Father. He, stepped, he so stepped into our darkness and our brokenness. He so became sin. He so let us throw all of our rage, wrath, accusation, murder on him so that he could take it all down into the grave and leave it there. And when we, looked at, when we look at Jesus' brokenness, his mutilated form on the cross, it becomes a mirror to us of the brokenness in our own frame. When we look at the thorns on his head, it becomes a mirror to us of our confusion, our insanity, our self-preservation. But guys, I don't know if you've ever read Psalm 23, but it's next up to bat. Psalm 22 paves the way prophetically for us to walk into Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Don't stop there, guys. Psalm 24. <laughs> who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Huh? And who will stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart does not lift up his soul to what is false or swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him. So those who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your head, O you gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors. Swing open that the king of glory may come in. After passing through the valley of Psalm 22, Jesus is able to resolutely shout Psalm 23, even in that place you never leave me, and lead right into Psalm 24 where he ascends into heaven and brings us with him. This whole hidden scheme and dream within the Trinity was to win our hearts back but unfortunately, it's been, Scripture sometimes gets twisted into something that causes, causes us to withhold our affection for the one who did everything to win it. No matter how hard the enemy tries to knock us down in the valley, he always ends up accidentally serving the Lord's purpose. The deepest, darkest valley has got to be the cross. And what did that do? Woo. 
did they regret that. <laughs> oh, man, if the rulers of this age knew what they were doing, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory, 1 Corinthians 3.8. Yeah. Or is it 2.8? It's in there. <laughs> the rulers regretted crucifying the Lord because of what came out of it. The enemy will regret bringing pain into your life because of what will come from it. It's like he keeps on forgetting that when he throws pain on us, it becomes a pathway to the eternal weight of glory destined for us. In the valley of the shadow of death, that ended up being the doorway to the highest place, the highest name ever given and the reconciliation of all humanity to God. Think about what God might use your valley for. Can I get the worship team up here? Isn't that good news? That's the kind of news that innately makes us happy. Puts that joy, 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 joy down in our heart to stay. That wonderful love of our blessed Redeemer way down in the depths of our heart. <laughs> During uh, this time, I actually just wanted to celebrate again what God has done in case you didn't get to the point where you were celebrating at the beginning of the service. I wanted to give us all another opportunity just to celebrate again. And specifically, but not limited to, anyone who wants to praise God in a valley. Would you stand with me? It may look like I'm forsaken, but it couldn't be further from the truth. It may look like I'm hopeless, but all my hopes in you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. We worship you, Jesus. We praise you, God of the valley. God of resurrection, God of our hope, God of our reconciliation, God of power. Jesus, the name above every name, we worship you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, do something amazing in this room. Sweep through and pluck out every lie we've believed about you. Just pull those things right from our brain, right from our memory. Remove those God concepts. Knock down, tear down every idle notion that sets itself up against the knowledge of our good God. Yes. Oh, Holy Spirit, 
Holy Spirit, we welcome you. I want to invite you guys, anyone who's feeling it, or if you just feel like the Lord inviting you, come forward and worship with me up here. I want to worship with you.